Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about the Halibut people and our world. I'm Glenn Wheeler. French colonizer Nicolas Denis described early Mi'kmaq burial rituals. The deceased was covered in a soft skin or a beaver robe and bound with their legs against their chest and touching the chin. The hole was lined with fir and cedar boughs, and gifts of weapons, snowshoes, utensils, beads, and clothing to accompany them into the land of souls. Mi'kmaq competed to give the best gift, and they gave the very best of what they had. Sometimes they even deprived themselves of the necessities for survival. On the show this week, a tale of two liberals, Jerry Byrne and Goody Hutchings, Do we have a case of liberal watchdog and liberal lapdog? And the Aboriginal People's Television Network will be airing a special series on the Halibu next week. We get a sneak preview from the APTN Atlantic correspondent. In the Western Star this past week, there was a letter from liberal MHA Jerry Byrne on the enrollment issue, making many of the points he made on Mi'kmaq Matters last week. The former MP pointed out that he recently met in Ottawa with the Newfoundland and Labrador Federal Liberal Caucus on the enrollment issue. Part of his efforts to get the Liberal government to change course on the enrollment issue. He concluded, It would be difficult for anyone to argue that anything about this process did anything to promote reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. Now, nowhere in the letter does he mention Goody Hutchings, But the letter invites us to draw comparisons. His own activism contrasts dramatically with her reticence to deal with the enrollment issue head-on. He's a political pro. She's a rookie MP with no previous political experience. His outspokenness contrasts with her loyal support of her Liberal Party on the enrollment issue over the opposition of her own constituents. When I asked Jerry Byrne on Mi'kmaq Matters about Hutchings' handling of the enrollment issue, he told me to talk to her myself. So I set out to do just that. When I emailed her Ottawa office, I was told that she was not available to join the podcast this week. How about next week, I replied. No answer. I phoned Michael, the staff person who handles her media inquiries. The receptionist said she would check to see if he was in his office. Alas, he was not. Then, the day after, came an email from Michael. She is not available to join the podcast, period. Michael attached a copy of the speech that Hutchings gave at the Cornerbrook Rotary Club on the enrollment process. That's the one where she stated that the Minister of Indigenous Affairs has confirmed to her that we're stuck with the supplemental agreement and that Hutchings will hire an extra staff person to deal with appeals. The member-only Rotary Club was an odd place for Hutchings to make an announcement so important to her constituents. I asked Dave Wells, chair of the Mi'kmaq First Nation Assembly of Newfoundland, what he thought of the Rotary Club as choice of venue I also asked him about a meeting he and other people from the community were recently able to arrange with Hutchings.
Dave, um, let's start with um, the Rotary Club uh, meeting where uh, MP Goody Hutchings made her her first uh, major public statement on the enrollment issue. Were you, uh, I understand you were not at the Rotary Club meeting. No, that is correct. Uh, I did not receive an invite, and uh, I personally am not a member of Rotary. No offense to uh, Rotary, but uh, were you surprised at that venue for this statement, which is, of uh, of course, great interest to uh, Mi'kmaq people, Halibut members and and, uh, and applicants? It is, as you say, the Rotary is a a private uh, club, so if you're I guess if you're not a member, um, you wouldn't be going. So it's not a really accessible event for that kind of statement. That's uh, true, Glenn. Uh, it, it was very surprising to us, and I'm sure to a lot of others in the, that are involved in the enrollment process with the Holopu. Uh, one would have expected that it would have been more of a public forum or a uh, press release, uh, you know, with uh, either television or with uh, print. Now, uh, the second uh, major event uh, last month involving uh, DMP was uh, a meeting that you were at. It was a meeting at uh, at our office. So uh, tell me um, how that meeting uh, came to be. How was it set up uh, and who organized it? Blaine Ford is one of the main organizers, and I'm sure there were others involved in asking uh, MP Hutchings for that meeting. In attendance at the meeting, I I do recall there was uh, Mr. Drover, the uh, band manager, Chief Mitchell, Glenn Penny, Blaine Ford, Ralph Ford, myself, uh, MP Hutchings, and... uh, that's pretty well it. There was probably a couple of staffers there from uh, the MP's office. Do we understand that it took some uh, time to get the meeting uh, organized? Uh, the requests went in uh, some time before the meeting actually took place. Well, you know, the, on behalf of uh, MFNAN, I've been requesting a meeting with uh, MP Hutchings for months, and this was the first opportunity that I had to be in this same room and have an opportunity to speak with her. How long uh, How long uh, was the meeting? Uh, the meeting was probably very close to uh, uh, 50 minutes. Uh, unfortunately, it may have gone on longer, but Chief Mitchell had another meeting that he he left uh, and uh, went off to that. So the actual structure of the meeting broke down after that. What was the agenda? Who did the talking on, on your side? It was uh, more or less roundtable discussion. Uh, everybody else spoke first, and MP Hutchings spoke last. Uh, it was more of a feeling out process for all of us. And uh, I spoke about uh, you know the problems and the flaws in the supplemental agreement. Did you have a, an ask for the meeting? Were you asking her to do something? Well, we all asked for this to be changed, or at least I did. And, uh, you know, uh, it was brought out that the supplemental agreement was the only uh, document that allowed for people to appeal a, a negative decision of the enrollment committee. But I quickly pointed out to uh, MP Hutchings that this appeal process with the uh, supplemental agreement is a futile exercise in that the appeal master will only review that file with the same criteria that the initial enrollment committee used. So if that's, and that is the case. So 
really nothing is going to change unless something was blatantly overlooked. So, you know, essentially the decisions of the enrollment committee at the end of the day will remain unchanged. So do I understand then that she, what uh, she said at the meeting was uh, basically the same thing she said at the Rotary Club uh, meeting, according to the media reports, that um, the, we're stuck with the supplemental agreement. Uh, nothing can be done about that. There is a, a contract in place between the parties. She would be hiring uh, a staff, extra staff person to deal with the issue. The feds will yeah. uh, put in a call center, and in the meantime, uh, you can apply under the uh, the Indian Act if you don't get your status through the uh, the enrollment process. Yes, you can apply there, but uh, that may not be quite as easy as ever, as people are letting on to. You know, we have not tried that route yet, so that could be fraught with uh, problems also. What was the understanding as the uh, as people left the meeting? What was uh... so from MP Hutchings? Basically, it was that there will be no changes to the supplemental agreement, and uh, I pointed out to her. You know, I said you keep talking about this supplemental agreement as a as a avenue of redress. You know, for the for the Halapu band and also for the applicants. But I said at at the end of the day, what happens? If the Mi'kmaq First Nation Assembly takes the Halapu and the federal government to court and wins, where does your supplemental agreement stand then? Obviously, the answer is it's going to be thrown out. So you don't have an agreement. Do you want to deal with it now or do you want to deal with it later? And it's almost like an insurance principle. Deny, deny, deny. And every time you deny, so many people walk away. Some die. Some And others and for the most part, people get fed up with it. So it's it's a delay tactic. That's all this is, because the Supreme Court has decided in uh, the Daniels case that the certain things within the supplemental agreement is not enforceable. But they're continuing to go down that road. They're not listening to the Supreme Court, so they will be told and ordered again to go back and change it. And they can right now go back and change it. All the band council and the chief of the Holopu, Brendan Mitchell, has to do is say, we are not accepting this at the end of the day. We want a criteria that reflects Newfoundland. Why are the applicants in Newfoundland being discriminated against and treated far differently than any other indigenous person in Canada? What did she see about that? Nothing. There was silence in the room. Mm. Now, that's this is our take on it, uh, based on our uh, conversations with our legal team. And we feel that we're on very good uh, uh, ground in saying that. So, Gilly Hutchings, is, uh, she's a first-time MP. She's uh, a member of the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party is the government. Yes. Um, so, uh, one might think that... Uh, you know she um, she has to toe the party line because uh, she's an MP for that party. So what what are we expecting that she could do uh, in her position as a Liberal MP? Well, first of all, uh, let, let's be honest here. Until the Holopu Council and Chiefs start standing up and saying we are not going to accept it, why should the federal government and MP Hutchings 
come out and say, well, we've got to change this to make it to make it more reflective of what the courts say and also what the people of Newfoundland want. So they're not going to really do anything until the chief says, we are not accepting this. And thus far, they have not said that. We had uh, Jerry Byrne on the uh, podcast uh, last uh, last week, and um, of course he is uh, he's a former MP and uh, now a uh, the uh, MHA for Cornerbrook and a provincial cabinet minister. He was until just over a year ago part of um, part of the caucus with uh, with Carolyn Bennett, and he's taking quite a different uh, position than um, than Goody Hutchings and his. Um, federal party on the enrollment issue. So we have uh, quite a, um, a distinct uh, two very different positions from uh, Hutchings and, uh, and Byrne. Correct. Well, you know, I mean, when you look at Cornerbrook, uh, Cornerbrook has a population of probably 19,000 people. Uh, so within this entire area here, uh, on both sides of the bay, we have about 11,000 people that have applied for status with the Holopu Band. So it's a huge part of the Bay of Islands community. When we look at western Newfoundland, uh, Goody Hutchings Riding, the Long Range Mountains, there's probably 80 to 85,000 people. And uh, I'm going to suggest to you that the majority of those households has somebody that is directly affected by this. So this is a huge issue. And you're, and you're correct, uh, Jerry is taking a somewhat of a different stance, but Jerry was the one that brought this file forward when he was the, uh, the minister some years ago. So, you know, he's, he's got a vested interest to see this go through. When those letters start to arrive this coming week, there is bound to be national coverage of the enrollment issue. APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network, will be airing a special three or maybe four-part series, each about five minutes each, on the enrollment issue and about the Halibut story generally. I talked to Trina Roach, the APTN Atlantic correspondent, about the series and about attitudes among other Mi'kmaq people toward the Halibut and our struggle. Trina, tell us uh, who, will be, who we will be seeing on, on the series. Um, when we got to uh, Newfoundland, you know, we had some key interviews set up. We knew we were going to talk to um, Brendan Mitchell, the chief of the Halibut Nation. Um, I had made some contacts in the community with people like uh, like Blaine Ford and, and Kelly. Um, when we arrived, there was a cultural gathering um, at the Grenfell campus, part of the Memorial University campus there. And it was um, there was a lot of people just there. So Paul Pike and, and Kellyanne, who are who are, um, you know, members of the Halibut Nation. They're waiting to get their letters, just like everybody else. That's um, Kellyanne Butler. Kellyanne Butler, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and we, we have talked to, um, you know, some, some uh, people here, like Jaime Batiste, who, who was, the, he was the citizenship coordinator for, um, for the Mi'kmaq Rights Initiative for the Mi'kmaq Nova Scotia. He's moved on now to, to do treaty education, but he's done a lot of work around... Um, Around identity and 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 the process of citizenship and Mi'kmaq, def, you know, defining who they are. Um, uh, the Mi'kmaq nation isn't there yet, but it is a process that 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 that's going on in Nova Scotia. Um, 
and uh, and we talked to um, people like Dave Wells, who's who's headed the um, the 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 Mi'kmaq first. There's so many first Nation Assembly of Philippines. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you, and um, and uh, and also uh, Calvin White. Um, we got into Flat Bay, but some of that sort of happened sort of organically. I mean, as you're as you're in the community, people are saying you have to, you know, you need to go here, you need to go there. As soon as your boots hit the ground, uh, the picture is different, and who you, you know people sort of connect you. And so so we yes. did that, and then we followed back to um, we, we came when we came back to Nova Scotia. Uh, it just so happened Brendan was meeting with the at an all chiefs meeting and addressing the other chiefs from the Atlantic region, uh, and so we were able to talk to um, to Brendan again to see how that meeting went, and then um, and then uh, Chief Bob Glode from from Millbrook speaking, you know, sort of on behalf of the uh, of the chiefs and some of the concerns and questions that they had while they were in the yes. room. Yes, so it sounds like the enrollment issue is the hook, but the themes in your series are broader than the enrollment uh, issue specifically. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I'm, you know, I've been following the, the, the Halibut story, but, but much like anybody else, just reading about it in the, in the news. And, and, um, and so the, I knew that the deadline for the January 31st, uh, was, you know, was coming. And so obviously, as a new, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, I need to do a story. As soon as you start talking to people, you realize that, um, that there's a lot more to the story. I mean, there's questions around identity. There's questions around membership. There's there's a there's there's a, a history of Mi'kmaq people in Newfoundland that I think a lot of people aren't really aware of. And and I thought this is much more than just um, just a quick news story on oh people are going to get their letters saying they're in a road on January 31st. I think that there's a deeper understanding um, that's required of the situation because it raises it raises a lot of a lot of issues around identity and also around who decides and the impact of this enrollment process on on um, on those decisions going forward, uh, especially when you look at say um, the 600,000. Um, self-identifying like Métis or non-status people impacted by the Daniels decision, right? The government's mm-hmm. going to look at that and how, is, this, is this how they're going to decide? Are, you, are they going to use this process, which has been fraught with problems, uh, to, decide, to decide membership on, or uh, status of those people as well? So, interesting. Now, as the, as the Atlantic correspondent for APTN, you're covering Mi'kmaq issues throughout the Atlantic region. Uh, you're in contact with, uh, with other Mi'kmaq people. And do you have a sense of uh, of whether the Halibu enrollment issue is well understood among those uh, those other Mi'kmaq people, say in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia? And is there is there support skepticism? What is the attitude toward uh, among other Mi'kmaq people toward the Halibu uh, cause? Um, I think there's, there's there's I think there's a lot of skepticism. I will say that there is support. Like certainly, I know like that individually. There's people from here who who have made you know there's elders who go over. I mean, well, first of all, there's Flat Bay has a has this annual powwow, and a lot of people from everywhere go there. I mean, yes. they draw like a crowd of ten thousand, right? So, mm-hmm. so people, there is there is those relationships. So again, it's not this sort of like one stroke. There, everybody's for or against. But I think that. Um, um, that there's a lot of skepticism, and I'll just use an example because when I was in St. John, I was posting pictures on Facebook, and one of the first comments that someone made was um, was in a reference to wannabes, and like I didn't respond to it because I don't I don't you know what I mean, but uh, other people certainly uh, did respond to that. Um, 
people who were in the picture and and uh and saying you know that's that that it's hurtful so there is there is this like um sense that somehow there's there's this questioning of legitimacy um and I think that that's where some of the education around the history of Mi'kmaq people in Newfoundland um, becomes very important. Um, and so I find it a mix because you have, like, I looked at pictures Calvin White had and Grand Chief Donald Marshall is performing a ceremony. Um, Noel Knockwood uh, is in the picture. They had those early contacts. They've had those contacts all along from, from individuals. I think generally when, um, um, when you're talking gener in more general terms, I think that... Um, that there has been some hesitancy and skepticism um, towards towards the halibut, and I think a lot of that triggered by the the, the number, right? The number that's always in the headlines: 103,000 applicants or 102,000 applicants. And it's like people go, "What? That can't be right!" Like, no, mm. no, no. And then everybody sort of just gets just gets painted with this broad <laughs> broad stroke of, "No, no, 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 no. That can't be right." And on on the uh, political front, I understand uh, in one of your uh, items you'll be uh, showing us uh, Chief Brendan Mitchell with the uh, with some of the Atlantic uh, chiefs uh, at a meeting talk about talking about the enrollment issue. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and um, and specifically on the uh, the political level uh, among the the other Mi'kmaq in the region what the what that relationship uh, is like. I think that I think that like when Con River just to go back a little bit when Con River because Con River if it hadn't um you know that that became rec formally recognized um uh, by the by the Canadian government in 1987 and they had fought for that but they had initially been uh joined with basically the Halibut now with the Federation of Newfoundland Indians in that early fight that had started in the 70s for recognition but they branched off on their own and when they did um, and they're in a bit of a different situation because because they have a reserve and they sort of have like a um, they're isolated and and they sort of had those kind of geographical borders um, to to define them as a community. Um, but they also you know had sort of connections with the Grand Council. Um, and in, I mean, in, well, this was after the fact, but in 1999, you know, um, Chief Michelle Joad, uh, they did the canoe voyage, right, to Chapel Island and were welcome. So, so there was sort of the that relationship there. And I think that, and, and I certainly heard a lot about this when I was talking to to, um, to Migma from the Halibut Band, is that is that they wished that the, that the leadership um, um, during some of the years, uh, um, not not Brenda Mitchell, because he's 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 you know he's picked up this now like and he was elected a year ago but but prior to him that there was the, the, those protocols and those relationships weren't followed and that that was was not a good thing for acceptance that if they had made those connections the the the, the picture and the acceptance um would look different now at a political level with the other Mi'kmaq chiefs so now Brendan goes into the meeting and 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 that's his like he wants to repair that relationship he wants to work with the other um, chiefs in the Atlantic, and and part of part of it is that um, well, for Brendan, it's just I mean, for him, it's good to have relationships, right? He it's good to partner with other nations to to work mm -hmm. on to work on issues and have a have a bigger voice. I think sometimes from the other side, you know, there's that sense. I mean, the, you know, indigenous communities are severely underfunded, right? And there's this fear that like if there's only so much pie, 
um, and all of a sudden you're adding in this huge group of people, like, like what's going to happen there? Like, how is this funding going to get divvied up now? Um, so some of it is about economics, and some of it is about entitlement, because if you're entitled to rights, like when you are a MIGMA, you are entitled to benefits, and not just... Um, not just maybe, you know, you don't have to pay tax on your car if you live on a reserve, or not, you know, any like those kind of things. I think it's about treaty rights and, and Aboriginal rights and hunting and things like that. And so there's sometimes there's a little confusion with, with um, because Mi'kmaq Newfoundland, they, they're not part of the, like there's no, there's no Aboriginal rights or treaty rights in Newfoundland, right? So that, so, but there is an entitlement to, um, to those kind of, you're a beneficiary. And so it becomes important for the Mi'kmaq to say, to say who is, you know, and who isn't a beneficiary because there's, there is an entitlement to that. So, yes. so the, you know, there's those kind of issues, I think, that are on the table, right? So it sounds like your series will be airing perhaps as the letters uh, come out because the letters will be mailed on January 31st. So there might be some uh, some overlap, I guess, uh, when your series is on. Do you have any plans to follow up uh, after the letters uh, come out and uh, whatever happens, happens in terms of reaction after those letters come out? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think that, I think that those letters that come out, I think um, – I think the fallout of that, I mean, it's very important to follow that because because what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen um, if uh, for some people who have status, who gain status and are members of the Halibut Nation, they could have their status card clawed back, right? I mean, that's that's a precedent. Um, how's that going to feel? And I've, I've, I've heard it again and again that that's going to be a traumatic experience, right? People who have, who have identified, who are part of the community, and, and for whatever reason, because it's, the criteria for enrollment is very complicated. I mean, it's a 13-point system. If you self-identified before a certain date, I think you're, you're in, but it's if, you, if you didn't, it's based on community acceptance. And, and, and for people who live away, um, it becomes even even more onerous because you have to provide receipts to prove that you went home, um, and uh, and that you have that connection and and for so many for so many years and and I mean it's like one guy one Paul Pike said I think his application because he did live away he lives there now but he can't reflect that on his application right his application is was was at a time when he lived away and and he, he lived said, in Alaska with with other Aboriginal people but somehow that wouldn't count under uh, it under doesn't the count no. And and so it becomes this odd odd thing where in a landless band geography becomes very important and it's Newfoundland people move away for work and so you know they uh, Calvin Weiss um, his he was saying his 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 granddaughters um, live in Alberta and he skypes he has great great grandchildren they skype like two or three times a week they come home when they can but is it enough right like mm. they could lose their status and here's a founding member of the Federation of Newfoundland Indians who did so much of the work um, starting in the 70s to gain membership. I mean, you know, and and I think, uh, and he lives in Flat Bay, which is a Mi'kmaq community. Um, I think there's, you know, there's there's going to be a huge impact and it's going to be very divisive for people within Halibut, right? Because you could have a, you could have two, two family members and one gets in and one doesn't. Um, and so I think there's going to be divisions, there's going to be there's going to be court battles. <laughs> there's an appeal process first. I mean, people have to sort of follow the process. I think there, there's a sense that you have to exhaust, you have do have to exhaust all the avenues. Um, I know there's been a lot of calls for Brendan 
just to step away and say, you know what, the supplementary agreement in 2013, which added on all these criteria, walk away, we don't need this, and just say no. And, and he's sort of saying, like, this is a one-shot deal, and if I walk away from this, Canada could just say, you know what, that's it, and then, we're, and then we've got nothing. So it's a very um, tense time for a lot of people to find out whether they're in or out. And, and some people say, well, you know what, I'm still, I'm still Mi'kmaq, right? I'm still, I still have my identity. Um, but there is, you know, you're not defined by, the, by, by status, you're not defined by a piece of plastic that you carry in your wallet. But it is important um, in terms of certain benefits for education, for healthcare, um, for, for belonging, and for validation for people who have had their identity um, and the, the, the legitimacy of their identity questioned. Trina Roach, Atlantic correspondent for APTN. The first in the series will air Tuesday or Wednesday, that's Jan 31 or Feb 1. If you can't watch on TV, you can catch the series online. Go to aptn.ca slash news and click under newscasts. The newscast is posted online by mid to late evening Newfoundland time and they're archived. You'll also be able to find the series on the APTN News Facebook page. That's it for the show. Thanks to Allison Baker for assistance here in the studio. Thanks also to Halibu artist Marcus Goss for permission to use Celebration Time. View and purchase the work of Marcus Goss at the Arts and Culture Centre in Cornerbrook until February 25th. Follow us on Twitter at Mi'kmaq Matters. That's M-I-Q-M-A-Q Matters. Check us out online, mi'kmaq-matters.blogspot.ca. Listen on SoundCloud or subscribe on iTunes. This is Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.